Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Great Iron Blitz, episode 240. Oscar Lopez in the house, right here on Block Talk Radio, TuneIn, and Apple Podcast. Alongside today, we are going to have a great show. It's going to be WFA All-Star Holly Custis in the house. We have IWFA All-Star Mackenzie Brooks joining us in a couple minutes. And we're also going to have uh, Luis Bean in the house, IWFL quarterback with the Utah Falcons. And we're going to be talking uh, college football. This week, uh, after three weeks, college football, and we're also going to be talking NFL Week Two, the excitement of Week Two, and we're going to dive into Legends Cup 2018 with the uh, always informative and talented and uh, Austin Acoustic All Star Steph McCormick, who will be joining us in the No Joke Football Huddle in about 15 minutes. So let's uh, dive into what we got going on here this today, and then. Luis and Mackenzie should be joining us uh, soon here. So, Holly, uh, what a week of NFL Week 2. Pat Mahomes, Kansas City, six TDs. This kid's for real. <clears throat> yeah, you know, one of the things I said going into this season is, uh, I mean, the question was still out on him, and it kind of still is, but he's starting, he's starting to answer that question of can he be consistent week in and week out? And I think one of the things that's really helping him is that he has a ton of weapons at his disposal. Uh, so as long as he gets the ball in the hands of those weapons, then he should be doing just fine. But uh, so far, so so great for him. A great start to the season. We'll see if he can sustain it the rest of the year. How about your boyfriend, Connor McGregor, showing up in Philadelphia as uh, Fitzpatrick? I you know you know it's crazy because um, Fitzpatrick he kind of came out of, of nowhere. I mean I don't think anybody that I know of uh, could see him coming out to, and and see him uh, do what he's done. Um, I think honestly that he may be winning the job from Winston as long as he keeps uh, doing what he's doing. It's going to be interesting to see if they um, start Winston when he comes back or. Um, if there's uh, an issue where they, they end up switching and uh, giving Fitzpatrick the reins. I, you know, it's one of those things where you invest a lot of money into Winston, but Fitzpatrick, I I don't know. There, there's a swag about the, the Bucks that was not there before. And uh, so he has the, the Fitz, uh, magic thing going on, and we'll see if he can uh, continue it. Holly, how about the sighting in Dallas of Tavon Austin finally breaking out somehow? You know, we've been uh, waiting for that uh, for for a minute here, and um, uh, the Cowboys have really needed somebody to step up into that role, so it's really exciting to, to see him uh, uh, start to do that. Uh, I think it's really early in the season, but if the Cowboys are going to make the playoffs, they're going to need him uh, to produce like he did um, this weekend for sure. Now, uh, I know we don't have this Bryant uh we have no idea, but we get Josh Gordon in New England, and he did pass his physical today, so that's happy news for New England. 
You know, I'm I'm decided uh, a while ago that the the Patriots are kind of like rehab island. Um, I mean, honestly, when you watch them play this this weekend, it was uninspired. That they came back a little bit at the end, but they were really flat. And one of the things that uh, uh, Belichick is always good at is when he feels like his team is struggling, he's not afraid to pull the uh, <clears throat> to pull the um, the plug on on stuff and mix stuff around. And one of the things that uh, he did well and the organization did well is they have a stipulation in the trade that if uh, Gordon comes over and doesn't play a certain amount of games this season, um, then the Bears have to send uh, the Patriots a draft pick basically in his place. So they don't have actually much to lose and everything to gain in this situation. Um, So we'll see if uh, the Patriots can kind of – rehab him and get him back on the field. As long as he's on the field, he seems to reduce, but the problem is making sure he's on the field. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Bean is joining us now. Uh, Bean, do you think anybody's missing Alex Smith in Kansas City right now? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Uh, You know, I guess they can say that that, uh, the head coach made a good call. His name just just left me. Andy Reid. Andy Reid made a good call. Because Alex had a great year last year, and yeah, it does seem like Washington's not doing so well. Kansas City is just loaded, though. I mean, all you got to do is get the ball near those guys, and they just run. They catch it and run. So, and but Patrick's getting the ball there. I mean, he was high flying at Texas Tech, so he knows how to throw the ball. No, and that's my point. It's like you you compare the two and. You have such excitement in Kansas City. I hope there's not a letdown in week eight, right, Holly? They get buzzed early. That's happened before. They get into this ride, and then they kind of phase out in the last half of the season. Yeah, they kind of did that uh, actually the last couple of years. Um, and that's just, that's the, the caveat that I have with him is, you know, can he turn the corner and be consistent? A lot of uh, young quarterbacks especially will have a good week or two but the ones that stick around, the uh, Aaron Rodgers, um, uh, the Tom Brady level guys, those are guys that do it week in and week out, no matter what's happening. Um, Aaron Rodgers would be out there with one leg if he needed to to do it, and he'll figure out a way to get it done. And the guys that kind of fall off or become uh, resident backups everywhere, the guys that are not consistent enough. So if he can be consistent, being is right that he has a ton of weapons. So the main thing is week in and week out and focusing on one step at a time. All right, Bean, uh, are we going to get a stretcher for Russell Wilson here down a couple weeks here? Because, boy, uh, Mac and company and Kamura, they just didn't didn't care for the Seahawks technically early on, and they just seem like they're riding on uh, Wilson's shoulders now. Well, it was uh, more entertaining in the fourth quarter, later half of the fourth quarter of that game. Um you know, I've heard different rumors about the t- what the teammates feel, I'm saying, before the season started with Russell Wilson and that he's just a uh, fake and just all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, they got to pull it together. And Pete Carroll's a great coach, and, and uh, we'll see what happens. When Holly was talking about the consistency, it's just such a long season in the NFL, and injuries just play a huge role. So, And everyone knows that. So... You know, just be a wait and see kind of kind of deal. But gosh, the NFL—it's just every week, every week. So it'll be fun to watch. 
Polly Trubisky didn't impress me. Hasn't impressed me yet. Was okay in week one. This this game against Seattle, you would think he'd shine at home, and it didn't happen. Well, he, again, is another young quarterback with, with potential, but he struggles with being consistent, and he, he struggles with consistent decision-making. So in each of the first two games, the first drives, he has let us team down the field and scored touchdowns and looked really, really good. And then there are other times later in the game, he kind of gets in like a, I don't know, like a mental lull a little bit, or I feel like the coaching staff is trying to put him in a good situation and not try to give him too much at once and make it simple for him. But there are a couple of times when I was watching him, I'm like, no, don't do that. There was a, there was a, I think it was like a third or a fourth and like one or two, something, something like that situation. And all he had the, the, the uh, receiver and the lineman uh, had blotted in a certain way that he just needed to run in between them and he would have picked up the first down. And instead he tried to bounce it. And I was like, no, it was, it was one of those things that you, you say to, 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 you know, kids that are in middle school and you're like, no, follow your block. It was there. And so he has like those little kind of flighty moments where you, it's kind of like, come on, you know, you shouldn't make that decision better. And hopefully he can um, get over that. But that's the thing that I'm hearing that Bears uh, fans are frustrated about is they can see flashes of goodness and then he'll do something mentally that you're like, why? <laughs> so it's a big question mark, but the Bears have some – the Bears on defense look really good. Mac has completely given that team life on the defensive side. I still don't know why the Raiders sent him away because I – but then again, for Mac, he's turning into a superstar. He was an all-star level guy with the Raiders. But if he continues playing like this for the Bears, Mac is going to be—he's going to set himself on a, an awesome path to be a superstar in the league. So it's great for him, but terrible for the Raiders. I can tell you right now, Mac's going to be on the same line as Erlocker uh, and every other defensive stand, standout in, in uh, Chicago Bears history. He plays like one or two more seasons or three seasons like this and takes them to a playoff. He's going to be glorified right there in Chicago, period. Um, Bean, Andrew Luck goes into Washington and then silences uh, Smith's week one performance. So are the Redskins that bad, or or is Luck back? Well, I definitely think Luck is making some good strides. You know, you can do – obviously, he spent a lot of last year not getting live, live reps. So you can do a lot of mental reps. You can do all the things you're supposed to do, but it just takes a minute to be in the live game, getting the timing, getting the flow, getting the feel, all those kind of things. So I definitely think it's a positive move, um, a positive move to getting better and get back up to his former self. And with confidence, I think that's a big deal. Uh, So I worry more about the Washington Redskins. Uh, I just look at some of these quarterbacks and I just look at the teams and the weapons that they have, and I think, okay, everyone talks about Dak Prescott and maybe just being average. If he had the weapons that your Rams or Kansas City or even some of uh, Green Bay, I mean, I know it's a two-way street. you got to have a good quarterback. you got to have weapons, but I tell you, weapons sure makes you look a lot better as a quarterback. So you, you got to Von um, Austin now, B. You're good. What'd you say? You got Devon Austin. You're good. Oh, you mean? <laughs> oh gosh. 
Well, I have more hope for Indianapolis. Let's say that. <laughs> um, Holly, the, your Niners edged by Detroit. I mean, they 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 almost get beat by Detroit technically. So, what does it say about Garoppolo and company here? And Detroit, what does it say about them kind of rebounding? Um, so it says a couple things. So the beginning of the game, um, uh, Jimmy G played really well in the, in the first half. Uh, and then later in the second half, so we were up by, oh, I think like 17 points. And it's one of those things where you have a team that's rebuilding and trying to turn the corner into becoming a winning team and a playoff team. And this is a lesson that teams have to learn is when you have a lead like that, especially at home, you have to know when to put the the um, the foot on the throat and take care of business and not let a team back in. And I think we got a little too conservative. Um, and then on, on the other part to that is Jimmy G. I don't know if this is a bad habit he picked up from last season, but he didn't have this last year. But for some reason this year, when he's dropping back, as a quarterback, you have to have a shot clock in your head that, like, okay, I either need to roll out and make something happen or I need to stick in the pocket and get rid of the ball. And he just dropped in the the pocket and held on to the ball and held on to the ball and held on to the ball and then got sacked multiple times. And some of that was on the coverage and some of that was on him for not getting rid of the ball. So he at least uh, admitted that in uh, 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 post-press conference, so I'm glad he's aware of it. Because in the long run, we can't be having our franchise quarterback, you know, drop back and, and get killed because he won't get rid of the ball. So that's something that I saw that, that bothered me. But on the bright side, uh, Brita, Matt Brita, um, the second-year running back, had an awesome game, uh, 138 yards and a touchdown. And I think he might have earned the starting spot there. So that, that's good because we, we need to figure out the running back spot. Um, our linebacking and uh, core and our uh, our defensive front have been pretty solid. Our issue is the secondary, and this is what played into the Lions' uh, strength. Matt Stafford definitely bounced back. Um, he kind of found his stride in the second half. Uh, the problem we're having is Sherman's actually playing pretty well, but nobody's throwing to his side, and the rest of our secondary is not strong. So we have some holes there that we need to fill long-term, but for now it kind of is what it is. So it kind of scares me playing Kansas City next week because their <laughs> strength is our weakness. So we'll see what happens. We're going to have to get to the quarterback before he can get rid of the ball. Um, but it's one of those games where at the end of the day, a win is a win. And uh, as long as, you know, I'm kind of hoping we get somewhere between seven and nine wins on the high side, and that will make me feel good about the progress of the team. So I'm not expecting huge things. It's more of week to week are we getting better so um, a win is a win at this point. All right, Beans, let's let's talk about the the orange hair guy, Dalton. A kind of rebound in Cincinnati against Baltimore, and Baltimore just looked like horrible for the first half or so. And so they, uh, it was the uh, Dalton to AJ Green show. So uh, Bengals, like I said, one week they're good, and then the next week they just look really horrible. I don't know what's going on there, but they get a win. Well, they're typical uh, Bengals you know, as the last couple of years. You know, they look good in the, during the regular season and they choke in the playoffs. Um, I hear so many different uh, ESPN commentators will say, I just want to believe in that guy. I just want to believe in that guy. <laughs> and then, you know, the 
bottom falls out. So they've got a couple good weapons, and uh, you know I'd like to see Andy Dalton do well. I'd like him to see. He seems like a decent guy. He plays well. He's from um, you know a good college, and so I have hope for them. Even though they're not one of the teams that I love, but I have hope for them. All right, guys, let's go into the huddle. You guys can get all your stuff at Zazzle.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. I want to thank everybody that's been going there and uh, ordering the shirts, the tanks, uh, getting that stuff uh, delivered to you guys. Uh, Post a pic for us to share, and then that way we get that taken care of. And hopefully you guys are having a good time on the website as well. So so at this point – we're going to go into the huddle, sponsored by Zazzle.com, of course, and we're going to talk to the one of the original Austin Acoustics and an awesome uh, center in the uh, Legends Football League, and she played this past weekend in Legends Cup 2018, part of the um, Austin Acoustic uh, awesome season turnaround from last year. So in the house is Steph McCormick, the center and all-star for the Austin Acoustics. Stephanie, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? We're doing great. Uh, glad you can make the time for us. I know you're a busy girl, and uh, what a season. Um, and then even Anna Garza became enemy number one for Hack in Legends Cup. That was kind of crazy. <laughs> Get yeah. number one. So that was kind of a, a shocking. But Anna's so tough and gritty that I guess it, it got to him <laughs> eventually. Um, oh, yeah. Steph- you know, she's just great. But uh, let's talk about you right now, um, the team. Let's talk about the beginning of the season. You know, tryouts, you guys went to acquire uh, Quintero um, down south, also acquiring a lot of other talent in local Texas. So talk about the, the building of the team for this season. Oh, wow. So, yeah, the offseason between 2017 and 2018 season, um, it was pretty busy for the acoustic. Uh, for team wise, I mean, it was a lot. Coach Olvera had us doing a lot of recruiting events. Um, Houston, Dallas, South Texas. Uh, I know he made a couple of trips to Mexico, which is where he met um, Paz, Maria Lucuriaga, and uh, Valeria Quintero. And uh, he got them from down there. And then we had. Stuff all over the state where Houston's where he picked up the Dowdy Twins. Uh, they played for in I think it was an 8v8 team that um, built a league throughout Texas, and they played for a team out in Houston. And so they came out to uh, I think it was kind of like a combine out there, and we picked them up. Um, so it was pretty busy in that regard. Uh, I personally, the off season was mildly horrendous for me with ACL rehab. <laughs> so it probably wasn't until uh, I say late December, early January that I, after the official tryout date that I even decided I was actually going to play and really fight to get back on the field and everything. Um, so that was an interesting journey. Of course we had returning center, Brandy Sulky, who I absolutely love and adore. She's my best friend. And um, so she was coming back and off of a really good season, off a really good rookie season, and a lot of other stacked linemen positions. So going into um, the 2018 season, coming off of ACL rehab, um, was mildly intimidating, <laughs> to say the least. Now, but, yeah, it was, Steph, a, it was an interesting um, 
Okay. Steph, the, the home base at HBC has been so uh, welcoming to you guys from the beginning since you guys started. It was a big crowd. I, I got to see some of it uh, off the, some of the web, but pretty big crowd in terms of support for you guys uh, at Legends Cup. Oh, yeah. It was, it was amazing. I mean, I know a lot of us, I'm pretty sure everybody who's on the team, all of their family showed up for that. I know that my family came in from Florida to come see that game and to come support and everything. So, yeah, I mean, for a, a team that's only been around for three years, to have the Legends Cup here and to be able to fill it that well, I thought it was pretty pretty incredible. It was really good. Steph, the rehab that you had, second thoughts about coming back, but eventually you came back, and here you go with the ride uh, against Seattle. You guys faced real tough, Michelle Angel. Um, but you guys did that last year, too. It just came just on the short end. So uh, you guys had to see something in yourselves that, a building stepping stone to, to be where you were at this year at the end and, and the final. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that it's pretty safe to say that myself, including a number of the returning veterans, especially Tiche and Michelle, Mar- Michelle Marshall, um, us three have been pretty tight since first season, and we probably talk almost every day. Us three saw pretty early, and I'm sure a lot of the other returners um, – saw that if, if there was going to be an acoustic team that was going to be able to take it all the way, it was going to be the one that we put together in the off season leading into the 2018 season. It was going to be the team that we had this year. Um, you know, we, we got the size that we needed. We got all these tools that we needed. We saw it was finally coming together and it was a long, hard fought season. Uh, I don't know if you saw today, but LFL 360 released uh, strength of schedule, and Austin Acoustic had the hardest schedule. And um, <laughs> I think it's fair that we can attest to that. <laughs> that I think everyone on our team would probably agree with that. But we just believed the entire season that, you know, like we're going to go all the way. We're, we can do this. We're going to do this. Um, we all said it in the beginning of the season. Uh, Mitch goes around and he he meets with all the franchises in the off season and and almost every girl in the room when he came to meet with the acoustic, you know, when he said, "What are your 2018 season goals?" Almost every single veteran and a lot of the new girls said, "I want to go to a Legends Cup. We're going to the Cup. That's our goal. That's what we're doing." And I think we just believed in that all season long, and we got there. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It, you know what? Everybody was on the ride. I was on the ride from the beginning because I know Oliveira uh, was recruiting, and I know the talent that Quintero brought into the Mexican League. And then when he brought in uh, the pieces there together, and then you added the Dowdy sisters with muscle and everything else. And, and so competitively in the West Con- Western Conference, um, it was basically uh, I just saw the fact that you guys could go all the way given the schedule that it was in Seattle rebuilding. Nobody knew Seattle was going to do that well either with uh, Michelle Angel at the time. Michelle had not even, you know, gone to Seattle. But overall, it, it turned out to be a great season. So, Legends Cup, um, Steph, you guys show up. Uh, you guys know you. this is Chicago, formidable opponent. They got a really good defense coming in. You got Chantel uh, Taylor, um, you know, Petrozulo, uh, Ali Alberts. And so, I just think when you watched it this past weekend – there were just a lot of mistakes made offensively on your guys' end, drop balls, nothing, you know, getting to the ball. And that was a detriment, I think, because other than that, you guys were literally toe-to-toe with them. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I think, I think it was, I don't, for, for me personally, I think there was this general sense of frustration that I felt amongst all the offensive players. I mean, defense had it on lockdown all night long. I mean, they performed one of their best games, probably their best game all season, but it seemed like offensively there was a lot of frustration and there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say worry, but it just seemed like in playoffs we clicked and we marched down the field and we put it in and we marched down the field and we put it in. But with the Legends Cup, it just seemed, you know, this is a team we had never seen before. We we have never played the show. It was a little bit of, you know, we're prepared, but you still just have never played that kind of that team before. And obviously they have a very stout defense. They have a very good defense. Um, and so – I don't know if it was a mixture of jitters, but there did seem at some points during the game that there was definitely a sense of frustration of this isn't working and I don't know why, and this isn't clicking and I don't understand why, and not being able to shake that, I think, really played a big role in some of the struggles that we had on offense. Correct. Um, Let me bring in Holly here and Luis and then Mackenzie to kind of pick your brain on the uh, final um, so, Holly, head on. Uh, this is uh, Steph McCormick, Austin Acoustic. Hello, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you, Holly? Good, good. Uh, so, congratulations on the great season. Um, I just had a couple of questions. Um, so, first of all, uh, how did you get into football? What's your uh... – So, um, actually – I ha- I'm not born and raised Texan. I lived here for four years, and it was about a year after I moved here, and my boyfriend, now husband, um, saw it on Facebook that Austin was going to have tryouts, and I had never played football in my entire life, but I was an athlete in high school, kind of done a variety of things throughout life, so he was like, you need to go do this. And I just looked at him, and I was like, I know nothing about football. I have never done that before what are you talking about? And he's like, no, you can do this. You're big. You're aggressive. Like, like you're an athlete. I think you can do this. So I said, okay, I mean, I guess I'll go try it out and went, tried out and I've been attached to it ever since. So it was really just that kind of nudge from, from him and seeing something in me that I had no clue was even there. And I'm incredibly thankful that he did that. It, changed both of our lives because he ended up becoming a coach but it just added a huge part of our lives that I think that we're going to cherish forever awesome um every player that I've ever talked to always has some sort of pre-game uh ritual uh or certain things that they like to do before a game do you have anything like that um not really. I'm kind of one of those players I don't like to do something that gets me, like, too in my head because then it just, for me, that throws me too much off my game. But um, I do have a specific eye black that I wear every game, and it's kind of like once I put that on and suit up, it just kind of turns the switch on, I guess you could say. And um, our team always has me do pregame speeches, and so it's like as soon as the eye black goes on, the pads come on, pregame speech comes out it just flips the switch for me and it kind of feels like for the entire team so it's just kind of little things that I've been doing since rookie season that I've always done and have always helped me kind of get in the mindset for the game 
Awesome. I totally, totally get that. Um, I know that you guys had a, a, a trying season as far as your schedule. Um, do you think that helped prepare you for the, um, uh, the the last game, or do you feel like that kind of beat you up a little bit? Honestly, I think it really prepared us for it. Um, when you're faced with the tough schedule that we had, I mean, when we found out that Nashville was getting basically – the majority of the returning Seattle players. And then some of those girls even moving back over to Seattle. We looked at our schedule. Everyone's going to be a good team. Everyone's going to have talent somewhere. No one is going to be a cakewalk. And we knew that going into the beginning of the season. We knew every game was going to be a dogfight. So I think having that mentality for every game, every game having to be a fight, every game is do or die. We have to beat this team. We have to be better than them. There wasn't really a mentality switch going into the postseason. It was the same for playing against L.A. in playoffs. We have to win this game. It's do or die. Like, it's going to be a dogfight. We have to get it. Same for the Legends Cup. So, I honestly think the tough schedule made it easier for us to just keep that hard-nosed mentality throughout the entire season and then into the postseason. That's that's really good to hear. I'm always uh, a proponent for you. You play the best, so you become the best, and that's the only way you get better. Um, uh, congratulations on the great season. I'm gonna pass it over to Bean. Oh, thank hey, you. Hey, how you doing, Steph? Good. How are you? Um, so, how hard? I got a couple fun questions for you. So, how hard did Oscar have to push you to come on the radio? Um, not that hard, actually. Okay. <laughs> I, I I like to talk to people. I love doing interviews. And so it was pretty much, hey, you know, would you be interested? Yeah, sure, let's do it. Why not? So it actually wasn't that difficult. <laughs> so his his uh, his infamy had preceded him, and you were like, totally, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you want me to talk to you for however long? Yeah, sure, let's do it. I love to talk to people. <laughs> oh, that's cool. All right, another one, super-duper important question is, all right, do you like the shorts or do you like the leggings better? So I'm really kind of torn between the two. Um, I like the leggings. They were super hot, but, I mean, like, temperature-wise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that too, but, the other one too. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did like the look that they gave us. I liked um, – I, I just – like the kind of overall message that I think it gave people. Um, we had a really good positive response from our fans. I had a lot of people come up to me after our first home game that we played in the pants, and they're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. You know, I didn't know that. So I am I came by, like, myself and my friend, but I'm going to bring my nieces or nephews and my kids and all these people because I thought you were playing in a bikini, but you're not, so this is awesome, which I thought was really great. Um, you know, we all – for us, it's a family event, but not everyone saw it that way in the bikinis before, which is unfortunate. But I think the pants kind of helped move it in that direction. That it's something that you're going to want to bring your kids to. Um, that being said, though, the shorts, um, I was fine with. I was fine with anything that wasn't the bikini bottoms again. And I think that was kind of the general consensus across the league. We even had conversations with the commissioner and everything. And even he had kind of said um, something similar to that, that he wanted to go to a short, not the bikini bottoms, possibly not the leggings, but to a short instead. And um, 
I could do this short, maybe a little bit longer, <laughs> maybe something that kind of looked like a Nike compression short that you would like wear to work out. But um, the shorts, they were they were okay. I would give them like a like a B minus. I would probably say. But the leggings, I would probably give. You can't go wrong with the leggings, in my opinion. But I can also understand why he kind of made the shift. Yeah, I actually really liked the leggings for the same reasons that you said. Um, also, it, remind, it kind of gives off the effect of a football fit pant look, just a little more yeah. pizzazz to it. So um, I would think that it would help on the eliminate some of the rug rash having the pants. But what do oh, I know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's de- that's definitely definitely a, a, a part of it is that when the shorts came back, we are kind of all looked at each other like, okay, receivers or running backs, whoever's really doing a lot of tackling here, sorry, like this might not be super comfortable for you. But thankfully the, the league had upgraded from the, the AstroTurf, that's kind of like a Brillo pad for a sponge. Right. They moved to more of like the FIFA turf, which is softer. Still kind of gives you a little bit of turf burn, but it's not as bad as that really, you know, the old school AstroTurf. I mean, that stuff is awful, but the turf they have now isn't too bad. It's not that bad. Oh, well, that's good. I, do you feel like um, that you miss having hip pads? Um, well, I've never played with hip pads. So, okay. um, but as far as, like, hip protection, I mean, like, as far as, like, more fabric there, it's not really something I've thought about. But I've personally never played, um, like, a full kit uniform, like, with hip pads and thigh pads and everything. I've never personally played in that. So it was something that I didn't – couldn't really make an opinion on as far as like whether I missed it or not because I've never played with that initially. So would you ever consider playing tackle, or is LFL just the only it for you? Oh, like like an eleven man full kit? Right. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I was I was talking to my husband because I've I've hung it up in the LFL. You know, I've that dedicated nine months out of my life for three years to that. I love it. I will forever cherish it, but it's just something that's kind of that chapter has ended. Um, but yeah, I've talked to my husband, you know, I don't, I probably wouldn't be a center in 11 man full kit. I would probably play, you know, something more like a tight end linebacker type situation. So, which is something that I would actually be pretty interested in pursuing, like just seeing what it's like. I, I know it's different, um, but it's something that I'm, I would be for sure open to. Absolutely. I mean, 11 kit girls, yeah, it's different, kind of like different family, but it's still a football family. So, I mean, it's definitely definitely something I'd be open to trying for sure. Well, there's definitely a lot of uh, full kit teams in Texas, that's for sure. Um, oh, yeah. So, so was the atmosphere and the theatrics hard at all to get used to, or was that just a natural thing for you? Um. I think I think ever since my first game, my rookie year, it's something that's come pretty natural. It's now actually something that I've become pretty fond of, um, that you kind of have that little bit of leeway. And I even – and I talked to a number of girls about this um, across the league, you know, just we all kind of noticed that the refs were really, you know – the moment they saw two players just, like, come right in front of each other, they were automatically on it, like, making sure it didn't escalate into a fight, which is something that kind of surprised me because it hasn't always been that way in, in past seasons. And it's something that I've kind of grown fond of, just to be able to have that chatter with each other and just kind of be able to 
have that kind of, it's all playful and it's all on the field and it's, it's in the moment. It's something that I do. My husband hates that I do it, but I do it because that's kind of who I am. I'm a chatter person, you know, I like to talk on the field. Um, as like, for me, it's not really anything by this point in the game I, I never really thought about. I think as a rookie, it was like, oh, man, yeah, you know, got to take your helmet off or do this or that. But after a while, it just becomes part of the game, and it becomes part of – for me, it became a big part of who I was on the field, and it became – and it's a part of who I am, and it was a way that I expressed that. And, like, everyone knew Steph doesn't shut up on the field, you know? <laughs> she gets Oh, something. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's yeah. kind of who I am. And I, I fell in love with it. I, I, I liked it. Well, that's cool because that would definitely be something that would be hard for me to uh, adjust to. I mean, I do like to uh, – when I wasn't playing the position of quarterback, it was fun to kind of talk a little bit, but it's just different in, in uh, Levin, man. You just – the refs don't allow that, and the theatrics are different. So that would definitely be an adjustment for me. Um, okay, so my last question is, is – well, two-part, what's the one thing that you'll take away from the experience and also what was the most interesting fan interaction experience that you had? Um, well, what I would take away most from the experience is just being able to be a part of something that most women don't have the opportunity to do. And honestly, I think, more women should have the opportunity to do. I After going through this experience, you really start to see that organized sports for women outside of college is really hard to find. And it's hard to find the level of competition that I think natural athletes want. And, like, we don't want a beer league softball. We don't want rec flag football. Not that it's not competitive because it is, but – you know, when you want more of that team mentality and you want that real higher level athleticism, it's hard to find that for women outside of college. It's hard to find that, you know, if you're not in with some professional organization, like anything with getting paid overseas to play basketball or getting paid to play softball or things like that. If you're not with something like that, it's hard to find that outlet. And I think for me, that was a huge part of helping me grow and learn as an adult woman that there are those outlets out there. And I think that that's something that's really big. I'm going to take away from this. And I think I wish that every woman could experience the camaraderie of being able to be an adult and still have sisters and your teammates I feel like in society today a lot of times women are put against each other and it's an opportunity that women get to come together and they get to work hard and they get to be aggressive and be powerful but also still love each other and be a family and be have a sisterhood and I really think that that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from it is you know a whole group of sisters that I never had before so that's that's a really huge part of it um As far as my fan interaction, man, I don't think I had anything that was, like, crazy, crazy. I don't know. I wasn't, like, I don't don't know. I don't know. I wasn't, like, a go-to poster girl, so I feel like I didn't have kind of, like, those kind of fan interactions. Uh, But what I guess what kind of did surprise me about it is when I did announce that I was retiring, a lot of people were, like, you know, I really loved watching you play and how he's really 
generous, nice messages about it that, you know, like looking back on, I never would have thought that I would have had that kind of impact on somebody or that somebody would have followed me and like my LFL career like that closely and that, you know, they were really invested in watching me on the field. You know, that that definitely stood out to me. But I didn't have any like crazy fan experiences now. No one tried to stop me or anything crazy. <laughs> oh, bummer. That's too bad. Well, hey, uh, <laughs> considering you guys never won a game last year, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and we only won one our first season, too. Yeah, that's that's really – that's just a lot of hard work. And just as you talk about, those are all the same reasons why uh, Mackenzie and I and Holly have enjoyed playing football is just the camaraderie and having a higher-level sport after college and just stuff like that. So uh, I'll turn the time over to Mackenzie or Oscar. Awesome. Hey, Steph, how you doing? Good. How are you? You know, I'm good. I'm living the dream here on a Tuesday night talking football, which is what we like to do here. Oh, yeah. So my question, I've got, I've got a couple good ones here. Um, just right off the top, what would you say, um, whether it be you personally or team-wise, what would you say was the most frustrating thing um, overall in that first half of the Legends Cup? Um. For me personally, typically when I go into a game, especially against an opponent I had seen before, and actually this season, um, we the only team that we hadn't seen before was technically Nashville, but they were basically the old Seattle offense. So I feel like we had seen them before and we knew exactly what they were going to do and as far as what they were bringing. Um, there's, and I feel like y'all would get what I mean, that you can slow the game down and everything just really slows down for you and you're making your reads right and seeing all the things that you need to see. Um, but for me, my biggest frustration was going in Chicago against a defense I had never seen before. I watched them in film a million times. I've been watching them since my rookie year. It was definitely – I felt a struggle to slow the game down. It seemed like there was just a lot of – I don't know if it's anxiety or anticipation or um, just kind of – wide-eyed about it but for me I remember even going up to the line and thinking to myself like I've got to slow this game down I've got to mentally slow this down and get in check and make my pre-snap reads and make sure we're all on the same page and we're all communicating and things like that I mean that was definitely probably one of my biggest frustrations um first half for sure yeah I know for myself um especially going against a team that I've already seen before or played before. Um, it can get frustrating, especially if they have, you know, been beating us on plays that they've been beating us on before, you know, we've studied film kind of thing. So I definitely, definitely feel the overall frustration as far as um, having seen the team before. So my second question is with you guys um, having gone 0-4 last season, um, what would you say was the biggest um, team atmospherical change as far as um, attitudes, as far as um, coaching-wise? Like, what would you say was the biggest turnaround between last season and this season? Um, it's a really good – really good. Because now I'm really got to think. Because, I mean, last season I was out so much with injury that a lot of my time was spent on the sidelines. And so on the field, I don't really – but I'm not really sure how they were in a game, but as far as, like, preparation-wise, um, 
it just kind of kind of seemed like we weren't we just weren't going to accept losing anymore. You know, last season we went 0 and 4 and our first season, our inaugural season, we went 1 and 3 and our one win was against the New England Liberty that got absolutely demolished by everybody else. So, um that being said, of course, we didn't win any big games first season. We didn't win any games last season. I think it was just this general attitude that we were just tired of winning or losing. We were just tired of losing. We were just so tired, especially against the same girls we had been seeing year in and year out. L.A., Seattle, the Seattle girls that moved to Nashville. You know, we saw Atlanta last year. Atlanta beat us last year. You know, it's just we look at the schedule, okay, we're going to see a lot of the same people that we've seen before. We need, like, we're not losing these games. You know, we should win these games. We're going to win these games. We were just tired of being a, a losing team. And I think that that's just an attitude that carried throughout the entire season, season even with the rookies. You know, they a lot of our new girls, they weren't – new to football, they were new to the LFL, but they had been playing football before and they came from winning organizations and they wanted to win too. And it just kind of seemed like everybody just losing was just not going to be an acceptable option anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I feel, um, you know, my, my team has definitely been in um, situations like that as far as coming off seasons where we've been really good and have had winning seasons to seasons where we haven't won much at all and just being able to bounce that on any level of sport, whether it's football, basketball, um, you know, anything is um, pretty much important if you're going to try to, you know, excel over that hump. So I'm really glad that you guys were able to come around and, you know, um, get the gears moving, especially because I've been, I actually started following um, your team last season. So I was interested to see how all this went out um, up until the Legends Cup this past weekend. Um, my other question just on a general general basis is um, even though you guys didn't end up winning the Legends Cup um, overall what was just the overall feeling on the field um, once the clock, the clock finally hit zero was there anything you guys felt like you could have done better was there anything you guys felt like you should have done more of that worked for you man I think outside of tears and crying and all those kind of emotions especially from us older girls I say older, but as far as being with the team, girls who have been with them for the since the inaugural season, and just kind of that general disappointment. The thing I heard the most is every girl is like, "Man, if we just had ten more minutes, if we just even if we had just five more minutes, if we just had a little bit more time, we could have come back and won that, and we could have done it if we just had that little bit more time." And, and going into the locker room, you know, there's actually a number of us retiring. Tisha's retiring. Um, she, she's not coming back. And then a couple of girls are up in the air and, and everybody was like, no, y'all, y'all have to come back. We're like, we, we just got to come back and do this again next year. Like we can do it. I know we can, if we just have five more minutes, you know, we could have beat that team. And I mean, I agree. I think, you know, five more minutes. Yeah. I think we definitely could have put it away, but I mean, it was definitely this sense of if we just had a little bit more time, we could have done it. And I think that was that was hard to swallow, for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine what it would have been like, you know, being in your guys' position, especially having came so far. And, like, and you know, just like everybody else, kudos to you guys for, you know, coming out and showing what you guys are all about as a team after, 
you know, the not-so-great season you guys had last year. I personally am proud to have seen you guys come from way behind last year to almost coming back to winning Legends Cup. So shout-out to you. Shout-out to the entire Austin Acoustic. It was it was amazing watching you guys. Um, with that being said, I'm going to uh, pass it back over to Oscar. All right, Steph, um, what a season, what an adventure. And uh, I can tell you right now, we've, we've been on the ride since uh, game one uh, as LFL fans and in football fans in general. And the fact that, you know, Marshall with the last second, uh, you know, touchdown into the end zone, yourself with some amazing catches uh, in the lines there and then getting extra yardage and toughing it out and stuff like that. So a lot of memorable moments in terms of, Austin acoustic from when you started to this year, but overall, I think the team has progressed every year. So I think that's what the fans really enjoyed in Austin. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I think we could talk like all night about how clutch Michelle Marshall is for the Austin acoustic. (laughs) Um, Oh yeah. Especially knowing her as well as I do, but yeah, I mean, there are so many, there are so many moments and you can really see the progression of the team from first season to now. And if I, even just from last season to now that I look back on last season and think we needed X, Y, and Z. And this season, that's what we got. And we plugged those girls in that filled that void and put a winning team together. And that's, that's what we needed to do for sure. Steph, let's jump into college before we let you go here college football and you're a big fan of that so three weeks into the books here um who do we alabama obviously stands out as like front runner clemson and all that but let's get your take on the on the season so far what do you think of college football um well it's definitely um it's gonna be an interesting season to watch personally i'm a florida state fan go Knowles, um florida state fan my entire life um it's gonna be a really long season for us Man, hey, hey, I'm a, I'm a Duck fan, and uh, I am so sorry that now you have Taggart. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I don't know whether I whether to give him a chance or whether to write him off, but I'm like, no, we're going to try and give him a little bit of a chance. He's just It's just a completely different style from Jimbo, and I just think it's going to take some time. And I think there's some things that are showing their faces now that Jimbo's left. I mean, like a lack of recruiting for an offensive line. Like, Jesus Christ, it's like Swiss cheese up there. I mean, I could get through, and I'm half their size. So, you know, it's just, you know, oh, man. But on the upside, the Aggies are having a great season so far. Um, tough loss to Clemson, but they've, they've pulled it out um, other than that. But, yeah, college football will be interesting to watch. That's That's definitely – I mean, there's, I feel like there's crazy stuff that goes on every single weekend in college football, like the big punt return. And, I mean, you can go on and on. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really week three is usually where it gets a little, uh, you know, more important, more into everybody gets into it, and then you get into week five, week seven. And as the weeks go by, it just seems like it's more interesting than pro because you're everything's unexpected, so – and it usually works out really well. Um, Florida is interesting, so we'll see how that you know how that works out up there. But uh, uh, it can't be any worse than UCLA. Oh yeah, God no. <laughs> God knows, right? You're, you're welcome, Oscar. You're welcome. I, I think we're just sending all our former coaches out there to destroy your guys' programs. Sorry. Messed up. The word is messed up. 
<laughs> that is not even funny. I know. It's sad. But anyways, I'm still a Bruins fan. I'm still a Bruins fan. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, Steph, it's been very entertaining. Uh, you're always very uh, exciting. And uh, our fans uh, on our pages uh, were, like, excited to get it. I, I got a message from a fan that says, are you going to get any LFL you know, interviews, and I, I always have to say to them, I can't get an NFL interview until they retire or move on, because normally in season, it's not a welcoming thing for me. But anyways, it's been a pleasure for you to come on and talk about the Austin Acoustic season, the amazing uh, women that played on the squad to get to the Legends Cup, especially from the progression of every year, and then to go up against a, a really big, uh, a stable franchise that Coach Hack has done in Chicago, you know, maintain stability kind of like new england patriots mentality just plugging in new people every mm-hmm. every year so that right there just impresses the rest of us because you guys did your part and got up to this point and you guys ended up facing them and with you know with a couple mishaps you know uh, a couple throws that get caught things get changed like you said there's five more minutes that would have been impacted right there and you guys could have probably run it down to the wire but overall a great season Thank you. And thank you all for, for following us and, and supporting us this entire time. I mean, it means it means a lot to us, for sure, to, you know, do this for our fans and, and for people who watch us. I mean, it was an emotional roller coaster for us, so I can't imagine, you know, how it was watching. So, you know, all your kind words and everything are super appreciated, and I'm going to pass them on to the team and, and let them know that, you know, people are watching and, they're going to be watching next season too. So they better make sure that they make everyone proud again. Well, the expectation is set, right? Uh, the, the, the fans in Austin already understand that you're a, cal- a high caliber squad, obviously not in Omaha, not mocking Omaha, but yes, I'm mocking Omaha, but technically yeah. you're not in Omaha. So in reality, you're right there. You're one of the elite teams now or organizations in this league, uh, which is hard to do. But it, overall, I mean, you're standing right up there with Los Angeles, Seattle, Chicago, and Atlanta. So now you guys kind of made your mark. So it's a, it's going to be a lot of hard work in the offseason. I know Coach Oliveira did a great job with everybody, like you said, all the pieces that came together. So hopefully the offseason will be the same and uh, with a, a higher result, which is obviously the cup next year. Yep, yep. I think he's going to – he's already planning OTAs and – workouts and all this stuff already for the off season. And I'm just wishing girls good luck and call me when you need to vent about it. <laughs> <laughs> so Steph, so, before we let you go, where are you headed? Are you professionally headed out there? Or are you just going to be a fan of the team now or what's, what's the next step for you? Um, so next step is I'm really, um, my husband and I are actually going to start working together. Um, we are going to go into oil field obviously super big in Texas. So um, we're going to go start our own adventure and do some of that. But actually, um, Adri Mallows from LFL Talk, um, after the cutouts, I kind of made a comment to him. Um, and I was like, hey, you ever need a co-host? You just call me. And he's like, okay. And then later, I messaged him. I said, hey, you know, I'm, I was kind of serious. Like, if you do, and he goes, you know, actually, I would love to have a player on as, like, a full-time host. That'd be great. Um, so, I think I actually might help him out with LFL Talk because I can't stay away. So, <laughs> um, 
probably going to help him out with that. But, I mean, as far as football, I don't really know. I'm just going to kind of go where the wind takes me and work a lot and just kind of go on some different adventures that, you know, I couldn't do. And you dedicate so much time to playing ball year-round. So, I just kind of kind of see how it goes. <laughs> well, we're kind of excited you break the news here. So, we're more than happy that uh, we're going to be listening to you and uh, Alia uh, uh, on LFL Talk, so that's awesome. LFL Talk's pretty nice. So we we always uh, um, listen to them as well, and he does a great job as well. So Andre Malos is a pretty awesome guy, and I've got to know him over the years as well. And so uh, great to to know that you're going to be on there, and I'm pretty sure that you're going to have a lot of uh, listeners, especially during the season. Oh yeah, I'm I'm super excited about it, and it gives me a good reason to drive up to Austin for home games and go get some of those game day interviews and just kind of hang out with the girls again so kind of keeps me connected but not committed to the full nine months of the season so (laughs) i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be a lot of fun all right so steph thanks for making the time i really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving the uh, lfl fans kind of like the perspective of legends cup 2018 and where these uh, the team stands right now and we're hoping that austin will elevate to another level and get as competitive as chicago and that looks like that's the, the way it's going right now so uh, I guess Coach Hack has another rival to deal with for next season. So looking forward to that. And uh, great uh, to make the time for us, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I love talking to you all, and it was great to get a chance to be on. I appreciate it. Have a great uh, night. Safe travels out there. All right. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. See ya. All right, so that was the uh, Steph McCormick, one of the original Austin Acoustic players that uh, started the whole club in Austin. And as she said, you know, first year was pretty bad, and then the second year was very competitive, and they just couldn't get any wins. And this year, they literally go to the finals. And uh, unfortunately, Chicago is literally a powerhouse in a lot of sense. So that right there was the end result. Uh, But they did put up a fight. Uh, They could have probably you know come on top like you say with a lot with minimal mistakes they could have they could have been the difference but they did make some mistakes uh mckenzie you saw the game drop balls they just they just weren't gelled on offense and so chicago took advantage yeah i mean you know just like with any other um sport or football game in this is um, you know, drop balls are going to be a thing. You can't predict when drop balls are going to happen. You can't predict if it's going to be, you know, at the start of the season, very first game, still getting rust out. Or in this case, um, just like Steph and her Austin Acoustic, you know, drop balls in the uh, Legends Cup, you know, big time game situation. Those things are just something you can't, you know, you can't really predict. But it's something that you can always go back, you know, and try to refine for the next season. That way, you know, there's more focused involved as far as, um, making sure, you know, you get all the all the fundamentals and all the kinks out before that big game. Holly, uh, Holly, there's a nucleus there now, as Stephanie has told us. Uh, so there's a nucleus there. So going forward next year, that just looks like there was an actual program in place where it's going to make it much easier for, uh, I guess, the coach to kind of just recruit and just fill in just like they do in New England. Yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime um, you're able to progress as a, a program, especially starting where they did and end up in uh, that position, it's going to draw um, people to you. 
And so the the trick is going to be what are they going to do with that uh, newfound attention and how are they going to um, add to it and are they going to progress? Um, that's the main question. So they've obviously put in the work to get to this point, and sometimes uh, when you're progressing as a team, you have to almost lose in order to learn uh, what to do to win. So hopefully that's something that they do in the off season. Awesome. Um, are you sticking around all year or are you bailing? Um, I'm on until 7.30. Perfect. Okay. So let's, since I have you on, let's go, let's go back to that. Um, um, Holly, uh, Jane Conwell played pretty well in this game. So it showed her running ability as a key to the win, not necessarily her passing. So overall, I mean, she did make good passes, but for the most part, she ran the ball, uh, got yardage, got the offense moving. And I think that was the key to the game. She actually showed up. Uh, we all had questions prior to these seasons, whether she had, you know, the potential to do it. Uh, she had high expectations because she was following in the footsteps of Heather Furr and, and uh, Sandra Barkley. But overall, I mean, she gets the cup. So that's, the, I guess, the most important thing now. Yeah, I mean, um, it's one of those things where you, you always knew that she had the potential, but it looks like she she's turned the corner on that. Um, so she should uh, definitely uh, be celebrated for, for her personal progression as, as a player. Um, and it's always a great feeling when you know a lot of people have uh, belief in you and you're able to meet those expectations. Being as a QB, she had, you know, people come, coming into this game, everybody was like, okay, who's going to falter, uh, Winfrey, to Shea Winfrey, or it was going to be Jane Conwell. But I think the coaching staff in Chicago really made it so much easy for Jane Conwell. They did not force her to throw early, and they literally just ran the ball with the running backs and herself as a key point. And I think that's really what killed uh, Austin. They just couldn't stop that. They left gaps around. And on the other side, Austin, to Shea Winfrey just wasn't there that that game it just showed she just was rattled either by the you know defensive front of Chicago and it just too many mistakes on that side they just didn't you know convert yeah I thought that the Austin QB Winfrey um I thought she she did seem rattled at times had poor footwork technique um wouldn't throw off was unbalanced a lot of times when she threw. Sometimes her receivers were wide open. They weren't far passes. They were short passes, and she just would miss them. Uh, sometimes that just happens. Sometimes you just don't have the best game. The Chicago uh, QB, you, I think that they uh, forced him into really running the ball, and their uh, running back Thompson was the MVP, and I thought she was pretty beastly and did a great job. I think she had at least two touchdowns. She may have had three. I can't remember. But um, I just thought that they – sometimes the job of the QB is just to – well, I feel like it's always to make other people look better. Um, But the road to success may not be uh, 10 for 15 passing or 10 for 12 passing. It could be just managing the game and getting the ball into the right hands of the people – uh, on the two championships that the Falcons won, uh, one year I didn't have an incomplete pass, and we won. The other year uh, I we were in the south, and the humidity really changed up how the ball felt, and when you threw it, it was the air is heavier, and I couldn't even complete a pass, and we still won. And so it just depends on – I think she did what needed to happen. So you can't fault – they won. So – 
doesn't really matter what she did. I think she just did what was asked of her and what she could do, and her other teammates picked up the slack. So, um, Bean, let's talk about the the time clock in this game in LFL Legends. In NFL in general, you have an L and an NFL style mentality in terms of a uh, you know uh, setup clock. So there was a lot of mistakes in this game where everybody was just not ready, you know, at the set. A lot of questions on yeah. play calling and stuff like that. So you got that going there, and that added some pressure too, I think, to the quarterbacks. A lot of timeouts because of that. So uh, on both sides of, the, of of both teams, there were those mistakes as well. So mentally, they were you know questioning the play or they weren't knowing what they were doing. Uh, at some point, they got over that. But most of the for the most of the game, those were some of the issues that both sides were facing offensively. Yeah, sometimes when I see those kind of things, it means that they. Now, I can't speak for this 100 for sure. Uh, I just know that you have to, as a team, be put in those situations more than just once or twice in practice so that you don't freak out or you know exactly how it's supposed to happen with the clock and just the hurry up and so that it's just second nature. So I can't confirm that that happened to them. But when you see those things happen in a game, uh, oftentimes, especially more than once, oftentimes it's, can be attributed to a lack of preparation for those circumstances. Um, and now, once again, I, I can't confirm that, but that's generally a kit the case. Uh, so, and those are unfortunate because if you have to burn a timeout, or um, and sometimes the play call can come in kind of funny, um, and so it can confuse people. So it's a synergy kind of thing. Well, uh, Mackenzie, let's let's just uh, finish up here talking Legends Cup, and then we'll go into college football. But Mackenzie. Uh, Overall, the running game was on, on point for Chicago, and I was just laughing because Coach Hack was worried about a you know five foot two line, line a middle linebacker named Anna Garza for the first couple of what one quarter of the game because she was just blowing the offensive line just to you know stopping them. She was on every play almost. Yeah, that was I for the first at least quarter quarter and a half. I was right there with him as far as being worried because she was literally blowing, blowing up the offensive line coming through like a bullet. And it was just, it was almost to the point to where you're just like, oh, we're not even sure what, you know, what other plays and what other calls inside the field are going to work to be able to either A, avoid her or B, you know, get her to slow down or whatever the case might be. Um, but once they got the running game going, I wasn't surprised at all that it started working as, as much as it did um, as far as, Having having those cutback lanes, having just the ability to um, bob and weave as she was, she was for the most part pretty much doing what she was pleasing um, within the limits of um, how the defense was set up and what she was seeing as far as her field vision when she got the ball. Yeah, uh, Holly, uh, let's finish it up here. Coach Hack now wins four Legends Cup. He's been with the league since it started in 2009. He's been part of every Bliss championship. So reality is he he's kind of very bold when he says, you know, Omaha's coming in here. That's a laugher. We're going to just take care of business. I don't care. <laughs> no coaches does that, but he does, and he, literally, and he wins. So I guess when you win enough, you can go that route. Well, it's one of those things that obviously he's uh... – Proved that uh, he has what it takes to to lead a program. Um, I'm not one 
that likes to talk a, 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 a lot. I'm not very good at it, even when I do try. It just comes out kind of awkward and funny. Um, but other people, that's kind of their thing. And, you know, for me, as long as you can back it up, I don't really care. Um, but, you know, obviously he's proved himself. Yeah, that's usually the case. Um, all right, let's move on to college football now. A week three was pretty exciting. Um, Ohio State beat TCU. Um, I'm, I'm assuming Alabama and Clemson here just, you know, we're looking at that at a rematch. It's early prediction for most everybody out there. Um, but uh, let's let's start with you, Holly. Where where do you see college football after week three here? Um, it's it's very interesting, like it is always. Um, you know, one of the things I love about college football is that it's not predictable. Um, I would say, I mean, you really have the top three. You have Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. Those are the top three teams, and then you kind of have a next level of Ohio State, but I don't really necessarily believe in them that much. Um, Oklahoma's kind of on that uh, next tier. Um, LSU has been impressive. They had a a great uh, win against Auburn, Um, so they're kind of a dark horse. Uh, and uh, but Auburn's still a really good team. They're they're a team that uh, could be um, in it at the end because it seems to be in college football. If you if you're going to lose, you have to do it early. And then what happens is for some reason people tend to forget about it, or it just seems to not carry as much weight. Especially losing to a strong team, uh, Auburn is still in in the race for the college uh, football playoff. Um, I mean, it's been really interesting. Uh, uh, you know, BYU got an awesome upset over Wisconsin. That was a, a definite surprise. Oh. I know it's you. I know you're excited, um, but that's that's a surprise on the national scene because Wisconsin was another kind of second tier dark horse team that was knocking on the door of the playoffs. So um, that speaks volumes to to BYU. Um, I think that was really really impressive. And um, the other, you know, things that we've seen, um, uh, you know, Ohio State beat TCU, but what's going to happen when Urban Meyer comes back? That's a, that's a big question. And um, it's it's always, you know, uh, it's always very interesting. And, and then we had three or four games this last weekend that were canceled because of the hurricane. So that's going to play a, a part down the line. Um, so all in all, a good start to this season. Really, it's going to be the next, you know, two to three weeks that we see uh, more excitement as, as we get into conference play. Um, but uh, I, I love college football. Being uh, Washington beats Utah, which is not a big deal. And then you also have Michigan beating SMU, which is not a big deal. So kind of like easy wins for those two programs. Well, first, uh, in our house, it's always a good Sabbath. When BYU wins and Utah loses, just so you know. Really? Yeah, it's a good Sabbath when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and also because uh, no one gave BYU a chance to get in Wisconsin, and uh, all the local papers were just like, "Oh, hopefully they can just play better than they did last year because they got beat like forty to six last year." Um, so what I'm seeing is still SEC power, uh, Big Ten. Not so sure because a lot of Big Ten teams lost. I mean, the Nebraska losing to Troy. I think Nebraska hasn't won yet this year. I think that's yeah. true. Yeah, Nebraska's yeah. 0-3. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's just bad stuff up there, and they were all in love with the new coach. Um, Pac-12, hit and miss right now. I mean, USC has one win. UCLA is 0-3. But you still got Washington that's still highly ranked. BYU's going to be playing Washington in two weeks, so we'll see. We'll see if BYU's any good still. Um, man, Florida State losing is bad. Uh, I expected Alabama and the Mississippi game to be closer, Ole Miss. Uh, so it's still, I still got to wait and see what happens in, uh, you know, Texas with Oklahoma. Well, they're not Oklahoma in Texas, but, you know, um, that league, that division. So, but like I'm with Holly, oh, gosh, college football is just, you know, I'm good with the pros, but, man, college football is just excitement and craziness, and anyone can win. And fans of 80,000 people and Penn State with 100,000 people, I mean, you just can't beat that. So, uh, San Diego State also beat Arizona State in the last-minute last game. That was great. I was watching that. So, Hail Mary failed at the end, but but at San Diego State, I think it's San Diego State Aztecs, right, uh, against number 23, Arizona State. You know, I missed that one because everyone was talking big. Since I'm from Arizona, everyone is more ASU uh, than U of A. And, yeah, they were all talking big things about the new coach and just that kind of stuff because the Cardinals are horrible. So you got to go with what you can go with. So, uh, yeah, I just think. Uh, when you watch TCU and Ohio State play, they're just there's some highlights I watched over the weekend where I swear they some of the players were so fast that especially in the Ohio State and TCU and, uh, and Alabama, where it, I feel like I'm watching a video game. I just think, man, they are so fast. So I, I love college football. Yeah, Mackenzie, are you surprised that Northwestern blew the lead against Akron because this this Big Ten to it's just not really good after three weeks. It's just they managed to blow a 21-3 halftime lead over Akron. That's not a good program. To be honest, I actually am surprised that they blew that lead. I was actually looking for them to blow the lead more, op- like, blow it more open instead of, you know, letting Akron even get back into the game. That was that was more or less shocking to me. I'm pretty sure I sat there and stared at the TV screen like, what am I watching? Like, what's going on? And and I really, and you know the I most really shocking that- fact is that Akron, Akron's first win against a Big Ten team since 1894. That's 124 oh, years. Man. <laughs> that is crazy. Wow. That's First of all, that's a crazy stat. That's That's insane. I mean, and I really wouldn't say the Big Ten itself as far as um, a Power Five conference overall is week after after three or four weeks of the college season. It's just those bigger powerhouse teams that you would expect to have, a, you know, a spotless record. You know, the Northwesterns, you know, Michigan's, Wisconsin's, the, the bigger the bigger name, known schools, I guess, so far, um, you know, tend to have a drop-off where if you look at somebody who's more of a media middle of the pack team, like my Iowa Hawkeyes, for example, um, big games like the one coming up this weekend with um, it's the, fir- the first, um, well, our first Big Ten uh, conference play, it's Iowa versus Wisconsin at Kinnick. Um, spreads three and a half. Uh, Wisconsin by three and a half is what the spread says. Um, 
last year when we went to Camp Randall, they blew us out of the water. It was like 41 to 14 or 20 or something. It was it was not a very high-scoring game on Iowa's side, so I'm interested to see um, the Big Ten shootout between Nate Stanley and Alex Hornibrook. I mean, Nate Stanley and the Hawkeyes blew the brakes off the UNI Panthers. I mean, they won 38 to 14. Nate Stanley threw for 309 yards, two touchdowns, and had one interception. Um, while Alex Honeybrook on the other side, when he's uh, him and his Badgers playing against the um, BYU, Alex Honeybrook threw for 18, 18 of 28 passes, 190 yards with one interception. So they're almost evenly matched as far as uh, stats from this week. So I'm really interested to see how how this plays out. Obviously, I'm pulling for my Hawkeyes. Everybody that I've talked to has said um, they've got hot, the Hawkeyes beating uh, beating Wisconsin by double digits. I don't see it being won by double digits. I will tell you that right now. You have to give respect to Jonathan Taylor and the way he runs his gaps. So I'm interested to see how my D-line blitzes and my linebackers blitz and see how they cover those gaps for Jonathan Taylor to avoid bouncing to the outside or, you know, cutting back up in the middle of those cutback lanes. Holly, uh, Mizzou beats Purdue with a game-winning field goal as time expires. So there was like, what, 375 yards by one of the quarterbacks that drew luck. And then there was David Blow set up a school record 572 passing yards and three TDs. But in the end, it was uh, the Missouri kicker who splits it up and gets the Tigers the win. You know, it's amazing how many games um, are won and lost on the foot of a kicker. And, uh, I mean, that's what's great, especially about college football, is it seems, you know, the chaos of it is what makes it fun. You really don't know what's going to happen until you play. You have all these national opponents that say X, Y, and Z, and sometimes they're right and sometimes they are so wrong. And, uh, no, that was a really good good game. Um, The other thing that I uh, forgot to mention the last time around is that uh, this weekend we have Stanford playing at Oregon, and the Pac-12 – we obviously have Washington that's a top 10 team, but this game between Stanford and Oregon is really going to be the the title game be, um, for the Pac-12 North division. Um, uh, both of these teams are kind of knocking on the door um, uh, of being on that next level that Washington is. And uh, Bryce Love was injured last week, so I think he'll probably be back against Oregon this week. But he's a Heisman contender. Uh, So is Justin Herbert, the quarterback for Oregon. Um, That is going to be a a key, interesting game. Um, But I just wanted to give that one a little bit uh, of attention. Um, But, no, I mean, the game that you mentioned was great, I think. I think it's just one of those things that I can't get enough of college football. Like, if I had hours and hours of free time, I mean, I spend a lot of my free time watching it anyway, but if I had more free time, I would probably spend additional time watching it. So, yeah. Bean, what do you say of Notre Dame holding off Vandermilt? Uh, Vandermilt. Uh, Notre Dame uh, is, like, early season, they, they start out with uh, a seven-point win over Michigan. Then they beat Ball State by eight last week and they barely hang in here to beat uh, Vanderbilt. So what do we say of Notre Dame? Wow. Well, the good news is, for them, they're still 3-0. and So you can, can improve with that, knowing you're still undefeated. I just don't see them there at the end. I just don't think they're that good. Uh, and the SEC teams are just so good. 
And uh, but you know Notre Dame still wears the golden helmets. So uh, Vanderbilt, I don't think they're I don't think they're that good, but we'll see what happens. But you know it's it's hard to know with Michigan because because Michigan lost to Notre Dame and they didn't look so good, but now Michigan looks a little better. So it's, I just think in college football you can have your rankings and that kind of sets you up at the beginning of the year to have some sort of system or some sort of way of ch- ch- oh, ranking people and to see where they're at, and then it just kind of all changes. So I think Notre Dame will end up with a mm, seven or eight win season, but that's all they'll get. That's my prediction. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, tr- we got to uh, just mention that uh, Troy beat Nebraska, and they and they did it last year, I think, again. Last year, I think they beat uh, – a power five, uh, they beat LSU, I think, if I recall right. Uh, this year, Trojans added the Nebraska Cornhuskers to the list of beating the power five conquest. So they beat Nebraska 24-19 on Saturday. So congratulations to Troy out there improving their program. Yeah, Troy, uh, I'd like to see if they move up because like Appalachian State moved up. Troy hasn't moved up, have they? I no. don't believe so, no. Yeah, no, that's huge. You get people, yeah. players coming there. Appalachian State is undefeated is this year. Uh, McNeese State is actually coming to play BYU, and they're undefeated, and they're in the, the division down. So I just love watching teams that are not Power 5 teams, and I just love when they come in and they beat somebody. So I just yeah. think that's the best thing. All right, so you guys can get all the lowdown on our Twitter feed at Gridiron Beauty. We will follow uh, everybody, pretty much CBS Sports, NTA Football, get the lowdown on Saturday, uh, the scores, updates, um, all that from our network partners that we met with on Twitter. So twitter.com, Forest Fast Grid, Iron Beauty. That's for the action there. Um, and then also uh, NFL every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday, you can be there with us, and we are recapping everything that's going on in the NFL, especially the Sunday night games and the Thursday night game specifically, and Monday night. So other than that, uh, it's going to be great. We have a great time out there. Uh, Mackenzie and Troy, myself, kind of chiming in on things that are happening live. So that's really awesome. Um, So let's talk about some things that are going on in the women's game since we go into the women's recaps and news and notes games. Um, Let's bring it up here. So this week, because of all the talk in the WNFC, and everything that's going to happen next season. And we've talked about wait and see and all this other stuff. Um, Holly uh, was on a group board and we were talking about the, you know, the differences between the WFA and the N, uh, the WNFC. And so a lot of the uh, commentary that is happening there is uh, a lot of people kind of try to perceive that whoever's speaking differently versus the NFL uh, WFA model that apparently we, are, you know, against uh, all this stuff. We're not. We're just literally, Holly, you can speak to it, but we're literally here just addressing the fact that if there's a better way to improve the, you know, the way that the players get compensated or players play less to play the sport, then it's a good thing to have that model kind of come forward. But we won't know what's going to happen, obviously, until this league gets up and running and plays at least a season, right? Yeah, I mean – Basically, um, women's football, I, I've played for 12 going on 13 years, and so I've been around the block. 
I've played in an IWFL. I've played several seasons in the WFA. And then we had this weird last season in the IWFL, and now we're in the WNFC. So I've definitely been around the block, and I've seen a lot. I've been on the field. I've also been behind the scenes, um, you know, in multiple um, functions with my former teams and as well as, as with these leagues. So I have a vast amount of knowledge. And really for me, the thing that people might not, might have a hard time seeing is this is not a league versus league issue. This is nothing to do with a, you know, um, it has to be one exact thing uh, or the other. And, and if the WNFC works and the WFA has to go away and all those people have to go away, that's not it at all. All it really boils down to is there's two different philosophies because basically in the history of women's football right now is a very key historical moment. We're at a crossroads where for a while there was a certain model that any league that we've had, that uh, IWFL, WFA, uh, USWL, uh, all the um, variations of, of that, um, it's all been a similar model in which you uh, start a league, you request a certain amount of money from a team uh, to pay you to be part of the league. And I think there's confusion a lot from a lot of players because they they don't realize that you as a player pay a fee to your team to exist on the team, but the team pays a fee to exist in the league. So there's two different fee structures that are in play here. And... Um, and for a long time, that's how it's been. And depending on how your individual team operates, you may have a, an owner who operates everything. You may have a, a board. You may be a nonprofit. Every ownership group is different. And some players have to pay, you know, 300 Some players have to pay over 1000 just depending on what team you're on and how they operate. And that's kind of been the existence of women's football for probably the last 15 years or so. And the WFA for the last, I'd say, six, seven, even further back years has really been uh, the, the the benchmark. They totally took over as the, the bell cow for uh, the sport, and they've done wonderful things. And each year, one of the things I will definitely give the WFA credit for is they do each year make adjustments to become better. Now, the issue is with the WNFC coming aboard it's not another league that's trying to com to compete with the WFA and other leagues. It's, it's basically apples and oranges. They're not coming in to play the same model. They're coming in with a different model. So the argument is not the WFA versus the WNFC. It's two different philosophical models and how to operate the business of running the league. And from my standpoint, the WFA and other leagues before it and, and the IWFL and all the leagues that we've currently been seeing in the last 15 years have all operated on the premise of, okay, we want to, in order to, to function and survive, take as many checks as we can from as many teams as we can to to try to make this survive, basically. And I think we've gotten to the point where now we need to try to figure out a, a better path that I think that was working for a little bit, but now we're going to have a path where, okay, so we've had some success at that, but is it really better to have multiple, multiple, multiple teams 
Um, because what happens is, number one, it dilutes the talent, and number two, um, the way the WFA has a tier system, you have different tiers, which I think is actually great. The problem has been is you have um, the travel argument of, okay, well, we have 10 teams in Division One, but they're all spread out across the country. So we want to save them travel, so we're going to have them play Division Two, Division Three teams in the local area to reduce that travel. But what happens is the Division Two and Three teams end up not making it, and then they, there's forfeits and or there are blowout games. And so at the end of the day, the product on the field is hurt. And at the end of the day, you don't know if the schedule that you're seeing is what you're actually going to play because who knows if that team's actually going to exist when you get there. And so last year we had a horrible year across the board as a sport where teams were just folding left and right. You know, my team, like, had, like, I don't even know, like, three games. I can't – it's – it was horrible, and um, and so basically the W uh, NFC has said, okay, instead of having travel be our priority, we want to make competition be the priority. And the thought process is is you have to ask the question now: Do we want the sport to be at a point where we eventually have players earning a paycheck? If that answer is yes, then we have to change this model. Because a lot of people will be like, of course, we want all these teams and we want all this money and recognition, but that's not how business works. Nobody is going to come down. There's no fairy out there, uh, no fairy godmother that's going to come down with millions of dollars and just give it to us just because. If you're a business, you're going to want to invest because you feel like uh, it's going to help your business. You're not just going to give millions of dollars out of the goodness of your heart because we're, we're not a charity like that. It's not Bill Gates giving out millions to, like, cancer research. We're, we're a league. We're a sport. So, of course, businesses are going to want to invest in something they think are, is going to be successful. And if they come out to a game and it's 85 to nothing, they're going to not take it seriously. So, therefore, you have to change the business model to try to increase the competition. And, therefore, the league has uh, – the WNFC has come up with a new model saying, okay, what we've done before that's gone into a certain point, but we want to get to a point where we get the recognition and uh, players are eventually recognized and paid the way that they should be. And so they're coming in with a new model, and I think the, the issues are our group of people – in our sport are very jaded for good reason because we've had multiple people come in and say, it's kind of like the traveling salesman that says, like, if you drink this elixir, it's going to, like, cure everything and you're going to be young. And it, we've had that pitch so many times that I think people are just tired. And the problem is, is I think we need to try not to be jaded and at least be open to new ideas because if we ideas, then the sport will die. And um, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. I'm in the same boat as we kind of have to wait and see. But I do like some of the things um, that the new league is saying, and I and I really want it to work because if this new model does work, then we're all going to be in a better place anyway. And 
Um, it's nothing against anybody else that's in any other league because everybody has value. And that's the whole point is if we have a business model in the WNFC or any other league that comes along and gives us the opportunity to earn a paycheck, that's going to trickle to everything. And then all of a sudden you're going to have people in other leagues that are going to get recognition as an offshoot from that anyway, where everybody's going to be in a better position if we can get to that point. So I think I think people um, have a lot of emotional investment because we all love the sport so much. But I think it's also wise that we take a step back, look at the bigger picture of where do we want the sport to go, and how do we get there, and not let our own emotions about who we like more dictate where that is. That's my whole little rant. And we had we haven't had a rant in a long time, so that's a good rant. I love it. Um, oh. I, I want to be clear on the fact that uh, we on this show have promoted the sport equally and everything with all leagues. The only issue that we've had in this show is that we don't have the willingness for leadership in certain league when invited to come on here and speak about their leagues, defend their league model, and do the things that we would ask any normal professional league to do. So when you have leadership that is not willing to come on to speak to or, you know, counter or have a conversation about it, then we have concerns. So the group boards really are a forum. Um, you go to Club Burmy, that's where we hang out. Club Burmy is a pretty open uh, forum out there. And so there is where everybody speaks their mind, which is great. We have dialogue and conversation about what's the better things for the sport, what we should be doing better or change or what existing things are doing great. Um, I think the dialogue right now is just a fear of one brand over the other, which in reality, both brands need each other as Holly was talking about, because we need a feeder system. So even if the WFA, the IWFL, the USWSFL uh, and the XXFL, the IWFA in Texas, if they all become feeder systems for a successful WNFC, which we won't know if it's successful until the first season or two, or and I'm going to give it three technically, because in reality, when you get into a business plan, you're not going to know the fruit of your labor until about 36 months. So we're just, I think a lot of people on the boards are like going overboard on the fact that we're making a conversation about the WNFC early here. And so it's not that we're going away from what has been working so the WFA, as to Holly's point, has done tremendous work for the sport. The IWFL before that did tremendous things for the sport, and every league before that has done tremendous things for the sport. So we're at a point now where we want to go to another level for the player, and I think that's the message that this new league wants to do. Will it happen? That is the big question that we're all asking. Can it be possible? Of course, because there's going to be effort put into it, and we won't know how that turns out until we see one full season of play and how that is managed, executed, and administered. So I think reality is it's a wait and see. That's what I've been doing. So I'm not here to bash, you know, the WFA or the IWFL or, every, or any other league. Uh, I, we are here to question decisions that are made in season, things that are made by the league, efforts that could be better for awareness and social media presence. We've always done that here on this show. And especially now, since we have the panel that is former players, championship players, and all-stars, I think our voice speaks to that. And we love the sport. We love women's football to increase. 
And that's why we cover it here as well. And we cover it overseas as well because of the importance of it. So um, that's my uh, two cents to it. I think that pretty well covers them. I think both those were really good. Yeah, and I think it's hard to be honest. Yeah, I think the reality is we're here as a panel, myself as a host, you guys as co-hosts and former players and the existing players. We're here because we love the sport. We want women's football to succeed. And in reality, we wouldn't have this platform if it wasn't for women's football. So, you know, that's where we're at. So, uh, you know, it's a struggle to where we're at now, as Holly has pointed out. All the organizations are not on the same page. Some benefit the player more than others, which is fine. But, in you know, to get to the next level to for a big organization like the Gorilla Northeast to see value in it, we have they have to do a model where it's no different than the NWSFL or the WNBA or the, you know, the NWHL, where the big, the big gorilla that has the big funding has to see a value product for it. So, you know, cross our fingers that this model works and it benefits the sport. If it doesn't, then there was a risk there that was taken and it's, it's, we're back to square one where we started before. So Mackenzie, you got anything on the topic? Um, I honestly don't because, like I said, both kind of just reiterating what the both of you guys said, we're all pretty much in it to, you know, hopefully one day see women that play the sport of football, whether it be legend style, whether it be full-on 11-man 11, 11 kit, eight-man kit, what, whichever style of football women play these days, we are all just in it to hopefully make an actual income out of it. Um when what most people don't realize is that most of us that play are paying to play. We're not like, you know, we're not like the NFL where we have things, you know, we can just order things and they're there or, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, some of us have to put money away from our checks. Some of us have to save up just in general to buy equipment or get borrowed equipment or whatever the case may be. Um, so, and it, it does, t- it, is, it is expensive. It is very it is very monetarily consuming. So I think just overall, we all want to just see the league, see the see leagues itself be able to pay players as well as players going into, um, you know, going into that paid tier of play. Yeah. All right. So Holly, you, um, um, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, no I was just going to say, I'm glad uh, that McKinsey brought that up because I think about there is a lot of confusion again um, over, you know, some players, they, they just pay their, their fee to the team and they don't realize there's a whole other fee that the team plays for the league. So one of the things that I do like about the WNFC is they're saying, okay, teams, you don't have to pay us um, a fee to be a part of this league. We're going to raise that uh, capital on our own to take care of the operational side. And then they are also um, helping in other ways, and so that will trickle down to the players. Um, so I think people are starting to get that now. Um, I think the original press release maybe wasn't as clear. Um, I kind of got it because I, I know how that works, but I think some people that didn't see behind the curtain as much were kind of confused. Um, the other big thing, like you were saying, like the, the, the big uh, grill of business is there's a reason why the NFL – 
that their paycheck is really coming from TV contracts. That's where their payday is, is those TV contracts. And and the reason why they have teams in all the big markets except for Green Bay is because they want to be in a market that has a TV audience. Therefore, they earn more money. And so it's a business. And the, the reality is if we want to get to the point where we get paid and therefore also the recognition and respect that all of our players and coaches and administrators deserve, we have to treat it like a business. And, um, you know, and even if the WNFC uh, does not work, I'm hoping it's, it's a step in the right direction and I'm hoping as we go, we learn from it and we, we try again. That's the thing I really hope that people understand is we have to keep trying because if we don't, we don't have the benefit that men's sports do. Men's sports, they they wake up as a male athlete, and whether you want the attention or not, you're going to get it. And they're going to want to know what you ate for breakfast. They're going to want to know what book you read. I mean, like, I love watching football shows, and now there's shows where they just follow high school kids around. And now I know these kids from the age of, like, 14, and now they're, like, playing in the NFL. So the the, the appetite for these male athletes is so high that they don't even know how to handle it a lot because they're, they're kids. We're female athletes. We don't have that. We have to beat down doors. We have to, we have to um, get out there on our own platforms and scream at the top of the lungs that that we're here and that we matter, or nobody really pays attention. And so that's why I really feel like, as a, a female athlete, apathy is death. So as long as we're, we we continue to try, even if we mess it up, then we're progressing. And just to piggyback off of that. Um, as far as, you know, not just the business side, but as far as the overall support side for just women's sports in general, um, women have to start supporting women's sports, not just the women who play those sports, but women's fans need to start supporting women's sports because I personally feel like in order for us as female athletes to succeed and to hopefully, you know, eventually get to the those paid tiers of play and those paid tiers of leagues, whether they're created now or not, um, we have to have more support from, you know, fans of our own, um, which is, and, and that's not to say that we don't already, but when you look at, you know, NFL, NBA, the powerhouse male leagues, most of their fans are male or females who, you know, females that have played the game or played the sport. So I think, I feel like in order for us to advance as an overall sporting entity to get paid, as far as, you know, merchandising, um, jersey sales, stuff like that, um, female paths will start supporting other females in other sports. Agreed. All right, Holly, thank you for uh, coming in and uh, making the time again. And uh, we'll catch you next Tuesday as we talk college football. We're going to do NFL week three as well with the recaps. Um, so, Mackenzie, uh, Luis is uh, also off right now, so she'll be back next week as well. And we'll look forward to Troy coming back soon here. Uh, and hopefully he's okay with the uh, Hurricane Florence stuff going on on the East Coast. Hopefully that's uh, nothing over there that's affecting him. And then uh, we should have Tracy, Tracy Brick here in a week or two back as well, so we can talk to some Aussie uh, gridiron. Uh, so, Mackenzie, it's just uh, it's going to be us right now for the last uh, segment, which is 15 minutes. We're going to go down to Brazil. And Brazil is uh, – the season's ended. So, uh, Aracuyu Alpha, 
lost to the Sanope champion Coyotes uh, 60-14. to We have playoffs already set in the Copa Sport de Brazil 2018. It is Sanope champions uh, qualifying for, obviously, the playoffs. Brasilia pilots in Group A as well. You have the Rio de Janeiro uh, riders qualifying for the home field advantage there in Group B. And then Curitiba Silverhawks in Group B. So we have four, final four pretty much set. Uh, the matchup date for the event has not been decided, so we will keep you updated on that. And that's what's happening in Copa uh, Sport de Brazil. Thanks to footballamericanobrazil.com for networking with us to bring you that information. In Germany, the Ladies Bowl is set. It is going to be September uh, 23rd. It is coming weekend. It is the Munich Cowboys taking on the Berlin Cobras, two uh, rivals. They know each other very well. Munich has beaten the Berlin Cobras in the finals as well, way, way back in the day. And so now it is a clash of the best, two best teams in Division I Germany, the Munich Cowboys against the Berlin Cobras. Uh, you also have Division II Ronan versus, uh, Cologne Ronan versus the Stuttgart Scorpions. Scorpions have had a great season this season and so Cologne's looking forward to kind of derailing that and also Stuttgart's just looking for just ended on a good note here so we're, we're having Cologne Ronan Division 2 versus Stuttgart Scorpions this weekend September 23rd the AFBD Ladies Bowl 2018 so uh, playoffs in Brazil uh, McKenzie and we have the finals of Division 1 Division 2 Ladies Bowl in Germany which is awesome yeah, like I said, I'm I'm just looking forward to all this football coming up across the globe. College, NFL, you know, legends, legendly just ended. Um, all the stuff we have going on globally. So there's still loads of football, even though um, seasons have ended, ended and seasons are just now starting to pick up and get into the bulk of their season. So I'm excited to see how all this plays out in the next week or three. If you guys miss anything that we talk about on the podcast, you can go to the hub for Women's American Football, and that is facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. Weekly updates, uh, links to stories, uh, inspiring stories, and we got a lot of uh, those on our Facebook page this week, as well as uh, Gracie Compton and Savannah Sullivan uh, out there out of uh, Northwest uh, Middle School. You can get the article on our Facebook page. Pretty awesome girls playing on boy squads and doing their thing. And I'm um, keeping up with that. So check it out on facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. 19,000 strong on social media. And so we uh, appreciate everybody doing shares on stories, shares on posts, updates, and everything that's uh, women's American football on social media. And so uh, we really appreciate it. So go to facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. If you go to our Instagram right now, you get to see D Hauer uh, out of the Chicago Bliss. And she's featured on our Instagram, so go like the Instagram there. And also Snapchat coming up Friday. Uh, Snapchat, Kristen Moore, the phenom out of Arizona. Uh, and so she's going to be doing our Snapchat Friday. Posted on that on our Twitter and Facebook page. And she'll be uh, chiming in. And our, our Snapchat's been uh, pretty awesome. So I know Mackenzie's following us as well. So go follow us. Almost over 300 followers, close to 300 followers on Snapchat. So we're also very happy to have that. Uh, we'll go to Austria right now and finish up the women's news and notes here. Austria, six teams in the Austrian league of uh, Desia Vikings, the Salzburg Ducks, the, uh, the Nobi Dragons, Self Patriots, and the Schultz Hammers. 
uh, as well as uh, Budapest Wolves. Um, so this past weekend, uh, the 16th and the 15th, Dacia continues their streak, 62-12, to 12, beating Hortz Hammers. And the uh, Ducks fall to Danube, 42-0. to zero. It is a clash of top teams this weekend, uh, 9-29 coming up. It is Danube versus Dacia. Uh, that's going to be a great event. And we look forward to some feed that uh, we're networking with. Hopefully they can provide us with that. Otherwise, we'll get some still photos from the amazing networking team that we have in Austria. So that's going to be a great event coming up. And uh, their season goes towards November 11th. Uh, so we're looking forward to the whole season in Austria. The other uh, season that's in place, obviously, Czechoslovakia, the Czech Republic. And that is the champion Brno Amazons. And their season kicked off September 1st, 32-7 against Prague Blackhawks. Then on the second uh, weekend, it was Prague Harpies, 25, losing to 47 to the Black, uh, uh, Black Hats. And then on this past weekend, it was the uh, Black Hats. A losing to the Brno Amazons, 45 to 20. That puts Brno at 2 and 0, Blackhawks at 1 and 2, and uh, Prague Harpies 0 and 1. Uh, the 30th coming up is going to be the matchup clash of the Amazons versus the Harpies, and that's the next matchup there. That's a nine on nine in um, in play in Czechoslovakia. That's pretty much what's happening. Gridiron, uh, Queensland. It's going to be uh, uh, week five. As soon as the highlights come out from Grand Queensland week five, we will keep you updated on that. And that's going to be uh, the Ravens pretty much own this, Bayside Ravens and the Stingrays. And so uh, as soon as the Great Iron Queensland updates that, we will go get you going. But the recap here for uh, September 1st was Raptors lose 46-0 to Thunder, who are 2-1, and Raptors 0-3. Stingrays fall to the Ravens, 22-12. to That makes the Ravens 3-0, Stingrays 1-2. Uh, September 16th, it was the Raptors 0-4, losing 77-0 to the Stingrays, Stingrays 2-2. Two and two. And then you also have the Thunder 2-2 two two as they lost to the Ravens, 36-12. That puts the Ravens at 4-0. This past weekend, week five, it was the Thunder and the Stingrays in a tie, 2-2-1 uh, two, two, each team tie now. So that's going to be a factor going forward with the season. Um, and then uh, the Raptors, once again, lose. Uh, brand new team. They're obviously in their first season, so that's a struggling. 56-0, to zero, the Ravens, uh, and they are 5-0 and on the season currently. So there's, they sit atop of the uh, Gridiron Queensland uh, standings, number one, Stingrays, number two, Thunder, number three, and Raptors, number four. Coming up week six, the preview here, September 22nd. It is the Thunder taking on Raptors. Should be an easy win for Thunder and put them up at 3-2-1. and one. The Stingrays, on the other hand, can have a, their hands full with the Bayside Ravens, who are 5-0, and oh, and Stingrays are coming 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. Our no-joke football brand athletes out there, Christy Moran and Laura Evans, face uh, one another once again in Grand Queensland. So, Mackenzie, a lot of action. And then Nor uh, Gridiron New South Wales as well. As we get the update, we'll post it up as well. Absolutely. Like I said, I, you know, I just can't wait to see how all the football just across the general globe is going to turn out. I see a lot of upsets happening. Also see some underwhelming games happening, which is natural. Upsets and underwhelming games are natural in any sport. So it'll just depend on, you know, what teams come to play and what teams, you know, unfortunately don't come so prepared. But like I said, either way, I'm excited for it. I can't wait for I can't wait to see all the action and highlights. I'm going to try to catch as many games as I can between, you know, when they start and the end of the week. So 
I'm just overall, I'm ready for it. And if you guys want to try out in the U.S. alone uh, and in Canada and Mexico, FX Mexico and Lexpo will be kicking off 2000, uh, 2018 fall season. We'll get to the details as soon as they push them out. But WFA offseason in, in full effect. Uh, you can go to WFAProFootball.com. Look for your team near your area or region or state. Uh, get in contact with the nearest team. Get the details about how to join and get on a roster for 2019. That is over uh, 60 to 70, almost 80 teams nationwide. So there should be no reason you can't find a team nearby. Also, you have uh, USWFL over on the East Coast, uh, East Coast region as well. So if you can't get on the WFA team, you can get on a USWFL team as well. And the IWFL up in the air at this point. So there's about six teams still nationwide. So you can go to IWFLsports.com. You can also get uh, hooked up with any of those teams there. In Texas, there's uh, the XFFL, uh, XXFL. So in Texas, you can get uh, hooked up there. And in Canada, the Maritime is out there. You can go to follow them on, on Facebook, Maritime Women's Football League. And in Canada, you also have the Western Women's Canadian Football League, www.cfl.ca. So if you're in the Saskatchewan region, Alberta, out there, you can actually get hooked up with one of the teams out there with maybe the Regina riot champions there as well so uh get the lowdown at facebook.com forward slash great beauties you can go to uh ourselves um on twitter great iron beauty on twitter as well and so you can check out our name brand uh apparel uh shops on our facebook page as well so facebook.com uh, forward slash no joke football and on instagram as well instagram.com forward slash no joke football so um yeah on the post on our Facebook page, we have Sasha Cruz of the Maha Blaze and of the LFL Denver Dream. She's asking for fans to go vote daily. Um, she is in a contest to be on the cover of Maxim Magazine, which is huge, and also Inked Magazine. So um, if you get uh, two seconds of your day every day between now and about 10 days, uh, let's throw her over the top and let's see if we can get her there. Um, it's about another week or so with one of the contests and another couple of days for the in, in, uh, Inkram uh, Ink Magazine. So let's get Sasha Cruz on there and let's spotlight some women's, uh, uh, women's American football stories on those two big magazine spreads as well. Um, so, Mackenzie, that's it pretty much. Uh, we talked about uh, NFL, college football. We had Steph McCormick in here talking Legends Cup 2018. We just talked about news and notes internationally, what's happening all over the globe here. And on top of that, you know, to send everybody to the hub, which is uh, Facebook.com, Great Iron Beauties. Like I said, we, we here at Gridiron Blitz Podcast Radio Group, we cover all things football across the globe. So if you haven't tuned in, you need to, because this is the spot to come for all your football talk, whether it's ranting, whether it's facts, news, interesting tidbits, stats, you name it, we have it here on the podcast. Well, Mackenzie, it's going to be a huge week three. We'll see if Pat Mahomes keeps his winning streak going. Uh, interesting stuff in college football as we get into this next week. On top of that, uh, we got all the action and playoffs in Brazil. We got the action and stuff happening over in, um, as well as in uh, Austria and the Czech Republic. And then we have Australia still in the mix with uh, New, New South Wales. So we've got a lot of stuff to still update, but we'll be here next Tuesday. I want to thank Steph McCormick for coming in today. 
and uh, giving us insights on her career as well as uh, where she's going to be at for the next uh, season of LFL 2019. And then obviously uh, we can't say enough for the, the amazing, uh, you know, people that are going to our Noja football brand shop to just get their stuff. If you get anything at all, just go to our shop, get the Nojo football shirt. Uh, you can get up to 20% off. You can use the uh, special codes that are there. If you want uh, to uh, get some more stuff from us, I strongly suggest go to Zazzle Black, get the subscribe to Zazzle Black. It's about 10 bucks for the year, and you get free shipping all over the U.S. So, um, Mackenzie, that's it. I think that's all we got. So we'll be, we'll be here next Tuesday. Hopefully we get Troy back, Tracy back as well. But for the absent Louise Bean, Holly Custis, and it's right now for uh, Mackenzie Brooke, Oscar Lopez saying, don't forget to share our stuff and uh, catch us on on Block Talk right here. Tune in Apple Podcast and then uh, go to subscribe to our Apple Podcast. So have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week, guys.